You're listening to the Grim Tidings Podcast, your podcast for all things grimdark. I am your host, blogger, writer, and purveyor of all things awesome, Rob Matheny. And I'm Philip, the guy who wishes he killed all your favorite Game of Thrones characters over <laughs> Oh man, you bastard. Oh, did you see what happened? They they John Jon Snow. You haven't watched season five, but yeah, Jon Snow, they, they killed him. All the people at the wall, they killed him. Spoiler alert. You have to say spoiler alert before you give a spoiler. Oh shit, did I was I out of order? <laughs> did, it, did it after crap. Well, I'll I'll edit this later and then I'll put in the spoiler alert right before <laughs> I said it. See? Post production, man. Uh, That's what it's all about. But yeah, the season wrapped up. Season five of Game of Thrones is done with. Um Pretty much everything we expected. Uh, just a couple of new things happened. But uh, overall, it was a quality season, I think. Looking forward to the next one. And uh, let's see, you started season four, Philip, so you're getting caught up. I just finished season four. I watched it in the whole weekend. So. Sweet. Now I'm officially caught up, sort of. Well, I'm not caught up completely, but close enough. Well, season five, when it comes out, I'll get it. Well, the internet definitely hit its peak with, um, fuck this, I'm done with Game of Thrones. Uh, a lot of people uh, abandoning ship at this point just because, uh, you know, at the end of the season, Jon Snow got uh, knifed by 17 different uh, guys at the wall. So uh, Internet also had another round of uh, reaction videos. They had reaction videos for various scenes before, like when Joffrey got killed or when Oberyn got killed. They had uh, reaction videos. So here they go again with uh, another round with the uh, Jon Snow assassination taking place and people were altogether pissed off um, at the end of the season. So definitely unlike any previous season with uh, a lot of people expressing rage and dissatisfaction with the overall trajectory that the storylines are going because at this point it looks like George R.R. R. Martin is effectively killing off pretty much every single person that we like on the show. It's going to be interesting for the next season because we, we have no idea what's going to happen in the books or the show now. So it's one of those mysterious uh, mysteries of mystery. Yeah. I did catch a a rumor today that there was going to be a little bit more revealing of the white walkers in the winds of winter, the next uh, volume of the uh, song of ice and fire series. So that's it. And then there's a a few of those, those chapter excerpts that are available at uh, George RR Martin's blog and and whatnot. So we've just got a little sneak peek of the next book, but uh, yeah, it should be interesting to see. Nobody really knows what's going to happen next. I think. Yeah. I'm looking forward to, to the next wave of mutilation or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Who knows what sort of internet rage we'll have in store for next season. It'll, it'll be interesting to see, but we do have an exciting uh, episode tonight for you. Our interview with Canadian author, Michael, R. Fletcher, author of Beyond Redemption from Harper Voyager. So a very cool interview we got to have with him. We'll be talking uh, plenty of cool subjects like uh, Grimdark and uh, his writing process and uh, discuss the highlights of this new book that uh, I'm pretty excited about. Uh, I've been reading so far and and I am digging Beyond Redemption, to say the least. Yeah, it's definitely an interesting uh, magic system that kind of involves mental disorders. It's a very different style of uh, fantasy and i think a lot of our listeners may enjoy this new work coming out yeah when the editor of the book says this is the most viscerally disgusting thing i think i have ever read let's publish it i think that speaks volumes to uh what we can expect with this book but it's cool to have somebody releasing a fantasy novel that's being pitched as a grimdark novel so that's that's pretty cool yeah viscerally disgusting uh should be the name of our 
park there. <laughs> Maybe we should change it. We should change it. <laughs> uh, but it was a great talk. Uh, Michael is a great, fantastic guy, and I'm really glad to see the success uh, of Beyond Redemption. He's getting a lot of uh, critical success. I don't think I've witnessed anybody saying anything bad about this book, but getting rave reviews across the board. So we're excited, and we we're very glad that he uh, took the time to be on the podcast uh, tonight. Our guest tonight is the author of the brand new epic dark fantasy grimdark novel titled Beyond Redemption. His first novel, titled 88, is a dystopian cyberpunk story released by a small Canadian press in 2013. And his short fiction can be found at Daily Science Fiction, Heroic Fantasy Quarterly, Interzone, OnSpec, and Arcane. When he's not being an awesome husband and father, he's manifesting delusions like a boss on the cold streets of Toronto. The Grim Tidings podcast welcomes Michael R. Fletcher to the show. Mike, thanks for hanging out tonight. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. We're very excited to have you join us tonight. Um, you're in an interesting spot. The dream has come alive for you at this point. Uh, your book was just released June 16th, Beyond Redemption, from the folks at Harbor Voyager. I know you had 88 come out before. We'll definitely talk about that a little bit. But this brand new title just released June 16th. So it must be pretty surreal for you to have the the big contract deal finally go through. And now the book is available uh, across the uh, U.S. Uh, and Canada, I presume. <laughs> um, yeah. So what's it like for you now that uh, that everything is has finally culminated with the release of your first official big deal novel here? Yeah, it's a. It, it really is surreal. I mean, the, the the deal was first signed about a year ago. Uh, I think it was last June, and um, you know, at that point, it, that was that was already crazy. I mean, above and beyond anything I already expected. I, I ever expected uh, writing Beyond Redemption. I, I really didn't expect it to sell. Uh, I thought it was too weird. Basically, wrote it for a small group of friends because um, I thought that's a neat little idea I've got. They're gonna like it, but it, it's not gonna sell. They pestered me into looking for an agent and stuff, and you know that sort of worked out. But now, like just in the last week, basically, uh, people on Twitter are sending me pictures of the book. You know, I'm, I'm receiving pictures from Australia. I've been reviewed in Russian. Somebody in Russia bought a book somehow. Uh, <laughs> it's just it really is crazy. It's a it's a whole a whole different level from what I was sort of uh, expecting. Um, you know, I'm completely unknown and i really was not expecting a lot of support from uh from the publisher and uh they really have been amazing like i, I really feel like they sort of they're getting behind the book and they're actually pushing it which is a uh, is really cool the reviews for beyond redemption have been nothing short of phenomenal i mean you got a one-starred review in publishers weekly uh, yeah. multiple review sites that uh, that we frequent have given it rave reviews and it's interesting because it's actually booked as a epic dark fantasy slash grim dark title so so that's pretty awesome now i understand that when you first heard of the grim dark subgenre you weren't uh, completely thrilled with that uh designation with the genre could you tell us about that yeah, it wasn't that it was uh, I wasn't. It's not that I wasn't thrilled with being labeled grimdark. I actually didn't know what grimdark was. I'd, I'd never heard of it before. Uh, my agent mentioned like, "Oh, the grimdark crowd's really gonna like this," but I'm not sure if anyone out, outside of grimdark will read it. You know, it's it's a little dark. Um, <laughs> and, I mean, my reaction was grimdark. Like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> you know, like you go grimdark. It's not a huge stretch to figure out you know what she was talking about 
but it, I, I was unaware of it as a uh, subgenre, you know. So after talking with her, I sort of like, all right, you know, I'm like a little myth. I mean, who, no one wants to get labeled. I mean, yeah, you understand why the labeling happens. You want to make it easy for people to find your stuff, and and it is grim and it is dark. And if you put that label on it, the right people are going to find it. Um, but it really wasn't until I started googling grim dark, and, and it was basically what I came up with this with this list of all of my favorite authors. <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, okay, no, that's cool. <laughs> yeah, I'm good. Yeah, call me grim dark. Perfect. Um, I have a question about uh, an interview you had with website Smash Dragons. You said that your agent thought this was the most viscerally disgusting book she had ever read. <laughs> yep. Since we're very uh, keen on viscerally disgusting things here at the Grim Tidings podcast, do you do you mind sharing some of the gory details about your story? A friend of mine called it twisted sex cannibalism. I think that's a stretch. I don't. I don't think. Uh, I don't think I went there. Uh, I don't think actually it's quite that. Um, it's just when I'm writing, I I see the scene first. I see it in my head. I, I visualize how it's all going to look. I sort of role play the part of every character. Um, I write their part from their point of view. I don't plan anything. So what you get isn't sort of like this plotted book where I know what's going to happen and how it's going to end. I just bounce back and forth from character to character, pretending to be that person, uh, trying to get into their, their headspace, their delusions, and then just reacting to what I figure they know of everyone else's choices and actions. But I don't hold anything back. When I wrote it, I wasn't sort of uh, thinking, oh, I have to sort of like, this has to fit a, um, you know, a G rating or an R rating or anything like that. I know my friends and I know that they can handle the level of sort of description that I was putting in there. So I, I just didn't hold anything back. Like I, I just tried to describe things as I saw them. And if it got really, really nasty, then that's what it had to be. You know, I, I wasn't going, not going for shock value at all. It's just wanted to capture what I saw. Did you do any research as far as coming up with viscerally disgusting things or did it all just kind of come out of your brain? Yeah, no, the, the, um, I think all the disgusting stuff came out of my brain. Okay. I, you know, I did, I did a fair amount of research, uh, on mental disorders, um, because I, I didn't know anything about that going into the book, going into the writing. So I had to research all that stuff just to have some idea. Now I, I, I bounced around a lot between um, some fairly outdated modes of psychiatry and, and some more modern stuff. Because some of the outdated stuff is just, it's, it's really cool. Uh, so I needed that, use some of that for, for some of the delusional stuff. And then really just sort of sat around thinking about like how that delusion would manifest. You know, if, if someone really believes that they're, they are rotting and the skin is flaking from their arms, like how, how is this going to manifest and what's that going to look like? And what, how is that going to feel for that person? Uh, I'm a hypochondriac, so I'll always think I'm going to die or yeah. something terrible is going to happen to me. So uh, would would that manifest like a guy with his skin flecking off? He would be a hypochondriac. Yeah, the way I would write a hypochondriac, how you uh, manifest would keep yeah. changing based on sort of what you'd read recently. So like say you, you've read a bunch of stuff on... You know, I mean, we're talking skin disorders like skin flaking. So you've read a bunch of stuff on skin flaking. and You're like, well, I've got that little dry patch of skin on my arm. And you start worrying about like, oh, maybe I have that. Maybe I've got a flesh eating disease. So that would manifest, you know, would start going that way. Uh, but then if someone distracted you with something else and you're like, I don't know, my bowels aren't feeling so great. <laughs> uh, maybe, maybe, maybe I've got some, some I mean, maybe it's IBS. Um, so then the, the skin would probably heal because you're distracted. You're not thinking about that anymore. Um, but you'd, you'd have other issues. 
Well, it's like my worst nightmare. I think. <laughs> it is. It is a nightmare. <laughs> so madness and insanity uh, definitely plays a big role in uh, Beyond Redemption. A lot of themes where perception creates reality and lots of uh, common uh, grimdark tropes that we've seen so far with um, morally gray characters dotted throughout the story. What is it about grimdark that uh, that appeals to you? What's what's that um, inner uh, light in your core that's that's attracted to the the darker things of, of fantasy fiction? What is that and where does that come from? I have to say it's the realism for me. I mean, I, I didn't, I definitely, I didn't set out to write something dark. I wasn't thinking, oh yeah, this is going to be a dark book. I'm going to write something dark. It was just, I had this idea of how, you know, this reality would sort of work. But I, I honestly, I couldn't see any way for it not to be dark. And part of the idea, part of what I love about the that underlying premise, the, uh, you know, belief shapes reality is it's so close to being utopia. It could so be a utopia if everyone would just believe that. And it's just not going to work. You know, it, it's going to go da- dark. It's going to go badly for everyone. I mean, so for me, it was just that the book had to go that way. It, it seemed like the most realistic way to write a, uh, an insane and ridiculous idea. Now, you yourself were a guitar player for the goth metal band Sex Without Souls for damn near 15 years. Yeah, yeah. So we're playing goth metal, obviously. Kind of dark. A um, little bit. A little bit dark. A little bit dark. <laughs> A bunch of our shows, we used to play fetish nights and fetish clubs, and it's it's really strange to be playing on stage and to have someone being spanked so loudly right beside the stage, and they're not being spanked in time to the song. It just throws your rhythm off. You start, you know, like I remember at least one song, like I slid off and I started following the rhythm of the uh, anchor over there. Um I would, but the whole goth thing, <laughs> you know, really it was it was for fun. We used to uh, we 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 set stuff on fire a lot, and uh, we just drank a lot. <laughs> so you you're pretty heavy into role playing, and you mentioned that you still uh, role play even even now. Yeah. If you could role play one character in your novel, who who would you think it would be, and what level do you think they could reach before getting killed, or would they live to be a ripe old age? I've written the next book already, so I kind of know how badly things are going for everyone. I think my favorite character to roleplay, though, would have to be, depending on how you want to pronounce it, Witchtig or Vitchtig, Vitchtig, the, the world's greatest swordsman. Uh, he's a sociopath, absolutely self-centered, really has no idea that he's self-centered, is continually amazed and appalled at how he just gives and gives to his friends, and he never feels like he gets anything back, nothing in return. And half the time he's winning sword fights by talking. The most important part of every sword fight for him is the uh, the conversation with his opponent before the fight begins, where he's sowing doubts. Yeah, he's, he's just he's one of my favorite characters. I haven't played D anD D in probably like twenty years. I think back in the the mid nineties, we wrote our own gaming system. We've been playing that ever since. Um, I see I see him reaching a uh, a fairly near godlike level before his uh, extremely self destructive tendencies bring him down. I see him almost achieving what he wants, but since he uh, hates himself more than he wants that, that'll win out in the end. So you, do you think a lot of the mental disorders in, in the novel actually are all self-destructive, or do you, do you feel they're, they have benefits uh, and you know bad, bad elements also? 
All right. So some of the some of the mental disorders are are definitely are self destructive. Um, some of them are more a case of mental trauma. It's not some, you know a problem that someone has with themselves. It's something that's happened to them. It could be a case of you know damage on a genetic level or damage due to like alcoholism or drug abuse. Now, for me, I mean, I wanted um, rules. I wanted a balance within the system. Um, I didn't want you know the delusional to be sort of all powerful. Um, and I, I really thought embracing one's delusions, probably not healthy. And I like the idea of these characters becoming more and more powerful, the more and more they embrace their delusions, um, but also becoming crazier so that as they sort of reach that pinnacle where they're becoming godlike in power, they've also completely lost control of their delusions of themselves. So it's sort of, um, you become more powerful and less able to actually make use of it. And at some point, uh, you know, what I call the, the pinnacle, your delusions take over. You, you've sort of, you've given, given them too much free reign, you've let them run amok, and uh, now you're paying the price. I'm assuming characters can't go to a psychiatrist in your world, or can they? Actually, there are, there are not quite jokes in the book about that, but I do sort of mention <laughs> the idea that you know, like, I think at least once one of the characters sort of muses, like, you know, if I could just sort of um, find some way to believe something else, I might be yeah. okay. Uh, but on the other hand, there are other characters who embrace their delusions. Uh, for them, it's like, my delusions are what make me different from everybody else. And why would I give that up? Now, one thing with the uh, world building that you've uh, put in place for Beyond Redemption, um, you definitely have a unique linguistic style to places and characters' names and things that I have not seen uh, really similar. I mean, it, it's new and creative and inventive. And I think one thing you're going to have to do at least is to tip your audiobook narrator. <laughs> so I, I use a, a lot of German for character names, place names, two things. Uh, one, I don't speak German at all. Uh, <laughs> so what you're seeing is my horrendous translations. And two, none of the characters speak German either. So for them... It's not a language. These are just names. When I wrote the book, as I mentioned earlier, I really was just writing for this sort of like small group of friends to read it. And I like the sound of German. I like that feel, the harshness to it. And I was basically using it to drop hints as to characters, place names, what, what, like, what is the place like? You know, if you sort of uh, figure out what that my horrendous translation is, it will give you some sort of, there are hints and stuff in, in the names. None of my friends speak German. <laughs> and that really uh, was what I was doing. I mean, part of it was that I loved the sound. And so that, that really fit the feel of the world I wanted to build. Uh, and then the names, they, they really came out of me dropping like little little hints and clues uh, for my friends as to, you know, like little personality traits and, and stuff like that. And then you have a pretty unique release schedule, at least planned at this point for the series. Now, you've already written books two and books three. Is that right? Yeah. So uh, book two I've written. Now, these are still in, in editing. I mean, I'm editing. The, the publisher hasn't even seen these yet. Um, I'm, I'm still working on them. So book two takes place basically very shortly after Beyond Redemption ends. The, the third book is in the same world, entirely new cast of characters. And my intent is to sort of bring those two storylines together in some probably largely world-wrecking kind of uh, cataclysm. Excellent. How many volumes do you have planned for the series? Of course, considering that if it's going to be the smashing success that we're all hoping for, uh, how many books total do you think you'd like to get out of the series? I see uh, two more books um, past the two I've written. 
to wrap up these sort of these two storylines. And I've been sketching out a background uh, for an entirely new uh, set of stories yeah, in the same world, but very different part of the world. And that I, could be a trilogy, depending on what goes. I mean, at this point, it's a uh, hand waving and a whole shitload of dreaming. <laughs> You mentioned that you you like to drink alcohol uh, on a regular basis. Yeah. I'm assuming a lot of characters in your book also drink a lot of alcohol. Yep. What would you say would be the drink of choice for your characters? You know, after a long day of uh, killing and butchering people, what would what would they uh, have to drink at the end of the day? In the book, they're they're pretty much they're all beer drinkers. One of the main characters every time the the trio. It's a bar, it's a pub, uh, in tavern, whatever. Before anyone is allowed to talk business, they all have a round of pints. And then once everyone has their pint, now we can talk about death. And uh, that's, yeah, they're, they're all beer drinkers. I didn't know if there was some hard shit they uh, get into. Yeah, no, that's uh, next, next book. Uh, next, uh, next book. Next book is, uh, is a lot about uh, you know, potato mash you know, kind of stuff. And you've written uh, numerous uh, amounts of short fiction that appeared in various publications. You actually have free fiction available on your website, and you have a Beyond Redemption wiki at your website as well. And there's actually a map of this world. Um, I don't think there's a map in the actual released version, but there's lots of lots of cool info on the wiki page, and that's very cool how you um, provide so much detail for uh, your readers to get submersed in this world entirely and completely. Uh, what gave you the idea to create a, a wiki with this first volume? I was uh, talking with another friend and uh, I think he said something like, us nerds, we love us some wiki. Um, <laughs> I was like, yeah, you know what? He's right. And I, I did a whole lot of background stuff before writing the book. Like I had to define the whole manifest delusion system and how it was all going to work. So I had all this stuff um, that I'd already written. I just had to, you know, go through and punctuate it a little bit and maybe add for a content of it. So it was really just a case of, of sharing all the crap I'd already done um, and, you know, cleaning it up a bit. Uh, and then once I started doing that, I got carried away talking about other stuff and I have a tendency to ramble sometimes. And uh, so it just all, it's a fairly random spewing of a uh, mic brain. Yeah, so you're kind of at a hold, holding pattern right now. You're in between the release, but you still haven't confirmed with your publisher if, if Volume 2 is going to hit the presses just yet? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think uh, mid, mid-July I'll be talking with Harper about the next books, and you know, some point after that we'll, sort of, we'll see what's going on. Uh, I think a lot will depend on the, you know, the response, both critical response and um, you know, whether people actually buy this book. Uh, I'm sure that will, will influence them, and also whether they actually like you know, what I've, what I've got for the next step. So one thing uh, I wanted to ask about uh, foul language, you don't, you don't seem to uh, be shy about using foul language in your story. What would you say is your favorite curse word to use in your stories? If you could use any curse word, which one would you uh, prefer to use the most? For Beyond Redemption, I wanted to stay away from sort of modern curse words because I wanted to give it a, a different feel. I didn't want to say fuck or shit. Um, they're just too, they're too simple. So I, I used shite instead of shit. You know, oh my God, that's a huge stretch. Um, <laughs> instead of uh, uh, saying fuck, um, I'd say rut or uh. dick. Like, oh, I'm going to stick her. You know, kind of stuff. Um, 
and uh, that and hells, um, you know, just pluralizing it because I mean, when you've got a reality, you know, shaped by people's delusions, um, you not only have many after deaths, you've got many hells. People can go to many different gods. Um, so every time somebody is going to say, you know, oh hell, kind of stuff, it's always pluralized because um, everyone wow. knows that there's more than one. Um, but those. Uh, you know those sort of three or four um they see they get used to a fair amount so do you use like combinations like fecking hell hells or uh fecking shite <laughs> uh yeah yeah you know mixing it up oh, okay. um what i what i try to do is i mean for for each character you know they have each character sort of will speak a certain way or have a tendency to lean towards certain curse words um you know you don't want all the same all the characters saying exactly the same thing. So, you know, uh, one of the characters is always referring to someone as a, you know, oh, you goat sticker, you know, kind of thing. Uh, you know, where someone else is, you know, saying shite all the time. What's your favorite uh, curse word to use in real life? I probably say fuck a fair amount. Fuck a what? A fair amount. <laughs> a lot. Uh, okay. I always say fuck, fuck a fair amount. My favorite's fucking hell, even though I'm not British. <laughs> It sounds kind of weird with my accent, but I'm always like, fucking hell, all the time. So that's my favorite one. Nice, yeah, yeah, with the drawl on that, that's good. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm trying to rein in my swearing when my uh, when my daughter's around, and uh, really failing badly at it. <laughs> and continually amazed, she doesn't just pick it up. It's like, she's like, no, that's that's daddy language. <laughs> so I'm not sure how long I get to get get away with this. In the beginning of the novel, you uh, dedicated the uh, the book to Emma and Charlotte, and uh, you have talked about before about how how important uh, it was your to have your wife's support uh, every day, day in and day out of you uh, sitting with your butt in the chair writing novels. It must have been yeah, a pretty uh, pretty big help to have her um, helping along the way to have you uh, fulfill this this dream of, of getting this novel out. Yeah, it's um. I mean, it's weird. I mean, you, you guys, uh, I, I'm sure you understand. You, you never, you never quite believe in what you're doing. You're always, you always have your doubts. I mean, that's 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 true. You know, now still for me. You know, I'm like, oh fuck. I like, are they gonna like this next book? Is are they gonna, you know, will they buy the next book? Am I done? Is this like a? Am I not even a one hit wonder? <laughs> um, and uh, and my wife is just um so much more confident about what I'm doing than I am. And uh, it's, it's really good. It's good to always have people that are more confident than me around because yeah. I'm not confident in anything. So I think that's good for everybody to have a sort of a cheerleader behind them or somebody just, you know, that's in their corner that's going to keep them going forward. Yeah, uh, definitely. And 88 is your dystopian uh, cyberpunk novel. That was actually your debut. It was printed from a small press there in Canada up north. Um, any plans for a sequel for that one? Are you ever going to return to that story world? I would like to. I have, uh, I, have um, I, I mean, I, I wrote 88 thinking that I wanted to do a sequel. Um, so I have, uh, I know what will happen roughly in the sequel, like as much as I plan anything. I wrote Beyond Redemption while we were editing 88. Um, and then uh, I started shopping agents for Beyond Redemption and started uh, writing the sequel. Uh, strangely enough, it was called 88.1. And then landed an agent and publishing deal with Beyond Redemption uh, before I got more than, I don't know, like 20 or 30,000 words into, a, into the 88 sequel. And at, at that point, just didn't quite make sense to sort of pursue that. 
um, you know, editing Beyond Redemption and working with uh, with the editor uh, David Pomerico, uh, would just became my absolute focus. Like Beyond Redemption, having a foot in the door, having a publishing deal with Harper Voyager was like, I have to chase this. I have to give this absolutely everything. And so, I mean, since then, I, you know, I, I just haven't been able to sort of dedicate the time to uh, to that the eighty eight sequel. Sort of, I'm chasing this one right now. But yeah, would love to. Uh, would love to go back and revisit that. So always meant to. Yeah, time will tell um, what the future uh, what the future holds for uh, your your publishing schedule. At least it's we're kind of in the, in the thick of things at this point to tell exactly what's what's ahead for you. But um, besides, uh, so are you just editing volume two and volume three right now? Do you are you penning anything else? Any short stories? Anything else um, that we can expect uh, soonish? Yeah, right now I'm wholly focused on on editing these two books um, uh, through bad planning, which is pretty much the only kind of planning I do. I wrote the two books back to back, basically finished the first draft of one, started the first draft of the next. So now I'm editing back to back, I don't know, like a quarter million words or so. And uh, it's it's a brain breaker. It's it's a lot of it's a lot of editing. And I'm, I'm not really good at that. So that means I have to go over and over and over and over and over. So each book, like I'll read it seven or eight times and go over it and get picky about individual words, you know, seven or eight times before I send it to my test readers. Then they're going to come back with their comments and be like, oh, yeah, you know, this one character, he disappeared. Or oh, yeah, I kind of like to hear more about that storyline or what the fuck was that chapter about? Is that actually literally a comment? Like, what what was that chapter about? That's, that's a bad one. Yeah, maybe that chapter shouldn't be there. So yeah, I'm, I, right now there's, there's no short stories in the work in the works. I'm I am just psychotically hyper focused on uh, uh, on these two books. Very good, Michael. Well, thanks again so much for joining us tonight and being on the show. Uh, it's been great speaking with you. Where can folks uh, get in touch with you and find you online? Uh, com. All my contact stuff is up there and links to the wiki and whatnot. And uh, yeah, it's all there. Yeah, good luck with the future novels. And I'm, I'm looking forward to the uh, psychotic adventures of your characters. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to hearing what you, uh, what you think about it once you uh, uh, finish the book. Yeah, I'm definitely, definitely doing that. Excellent. Well, it's been a great conversation, sir. Thanks so much for hanging out tonight. It's been great. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. That was, uh, that was fun. And that was our interview with Michael R. Fletcher, author of Beyond Redemption. Very cool for Michael to join us. Don't forget, you can pick up his book on Amazon right now. Be sure to pick it up. And when you pick it up, be sure to read it and leave a review. Reviews are very important to authors these days. So if you read it, leave a review. That's my recommendation. And uh, thanks again to Mike for hanging out. It was a great talk. Uh, Be sure to check us out on Twitter. Tweet us, retweet us, uh, share the love. At Grimdark Fiction is where you can find us. And if you're on the Facebooks, you can check us out at www.facebook.com slash the Grim Tidings Podcast. That's www.facebook.com slash the Grim Tidings Podcast. I don't even think you need the www anymore. Just I, I need I need the www, Rob. <laughs> let me have let me have it. <laughs> If you like the show, please share the show. Check us out on iTunes or Stitcher. Um, If you like it, share it. Uh, That's the lifeblood of podcasts is making sure that 
everybody gets to hear it. So thanks again to everybody who's listened and downloaded, and uh, be sure to share the love. And uh, we will see you next time right here on the Grim Tidings podcast. Until next time, uh, uh, Philip, did you want to give the uh, closing remarks here? Until next time, stay grim, stay dark, stay true. (laughs) Peace out. That was grim as fuck.